0: As we're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, when we finish Hebrews as a church, we would have taught through the entire New Testament, verse by verse, and what an accomplishment, and what a great joy that will be. We're in chapter three, where we left off, where it opens up with this encouragement and exhortation to consider Jesus. Notice, therefore, verse one, holy brethren, so he's writing to believers, who have partaken of the heavenly calling, He says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Consider Jesus. This is one of the recurring themes throughout the book of Hebrews. As Paul is writing to a group of Jewish believers who are greatly tempted to go backwards away from Jesus Christ. They want to go back to Judaism. They miss all of the formalism. They miss the sacrificial system. They miss all of the outwardness of Judaism. Even though, and this is the irony of all, in Judaism they were taught to look for the coming of Messiah. They were taught that every time a sacrifice was given and every time blood was shed, that there would be one that would come, that would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And when he finally did come and he was embraced by faith, Well, with all of the turmoil and all the difficulty that that meant to them, they were tempted to go backwards. So time and time again throughout the book of Hebrews, there's going to be this warning. There's going to be this exhortation. There's going to be this encouragement. Don't go backwards. But instead, like verse 1, consider. And that, that word is deeply consider or to focus on. And everything changes back to the true reality when we slow down and remember the great love and grace and presence of Jesus Christ who is faithful even when we're faithless he remains faithful and the cure for fear and the cure for anxiety is the consciousness of the presence and the power of God that by faith we would receive his love for us and his mercy that we would make a habit As we learned last time of meditating on his word, to be in his word, to read through his word, that will constantly remind us of his presence. It's the presence of God that dispels all fear. To be reminded that God is with me, that he's promised not to leave me or forsake me, that he's working all things together for the good. Because we love him for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, I don't need to fear because God has promised to be with me wherever I go and whatever I'm doing. And I don't need to look backwards in condemnation or guilt because the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of my sins. Paul would tell young Timothy, you can jot it down in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. He said, do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And here we see that we're to consider the apostle and high priest. Now the word apostle, it's important to point out, has two different meanings. There is a technical meaning of the word apostle, and there's a more general meaning of this Greek word that we translate apostle. Because you Bible students, you know when the word apostle is mentioned, it immediately draws you back to those 12 men that were handpicked by Jesus himself to follow him and serve with him for three years. Technically, there are actually 13 men because you got the original 12, Minus Judas, who killed himself and committed suicide after his great betrayal, and then was replaced by Saul of Tarsus. So technically there are 13 of them, but no more than 12 at one time. That's the technical. The technical definition of this would refer to that group of people. But in a general sense, the word simply means someone that's sent. So in a general sense, that word can apply to all of us that we're all sent. But notice, notice, the the translators in the New King James Version capitalize the letter A for apostle because he wants to point out that Jesus was one sent that is supremely unique. No one has ever been sent like Jesus Christ he is the apostle he's not a apostle he is the one sent from heaven taking on a human body god in human flesh to die for the sins of the world on a roman cross to be buried and rise again do you know that jesus christ died you don't know, want to know why he died he died because god loves you that's what the bible says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Imagine that. Here you are today in whatever condition your life is, whatever you're into, whatever you've been doing, with all the freedoms and privileges that God has entrusted to you, no matter where you come from, what your background is, how messed up you are, how great you are, how bad you are, and everything in between— out of the love that God wants to express to you. If you ever want love defined, don't look to a romantic movie or some popular song. If you ever want the true definition of love, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's love. The just for the unjust. The perfect for the imperfect. The sinless for the sinner. That his love was demonstrated to us not when we cleaned our life up, not when we got things in order, not when we fixed every problem, but the love of God was demonstrated to you and me in our absolute worst condition. And you can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a beautiful display. It's not the perfect display, but there's a beautiful display of the love of God. And I'm reminded love is patient and kind. Love hopes all things, believes all things. It's a beautiful list of what love looks like. And the love of God sent Jesus Christ into here. He is the apostle. And notice he's the high priest. Now, why would the author, why would he place these titles here in the beginning of chapter three? Well, because remember, one of the big temptations of turning away from Jesus Christ and back to Judaism was Moses. Moses was very important to the Jews then and to the Jews today. He's a very important man used by God. He was so important that he would be elevated even above Jesus Christ. Remember, there were three things tugging on the hearts of these Jewish believers. Their devotion to Moses, their devotion to the law, and their appreciation of angels. Why? Because when the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, in some way God used angels to deliver it. And so those three things were very important. We've spent a lot of time in these first few chapters looking at how God is telling us and teaching us that Jesus is superior to angels, to Moses, and to the law. Like he is the substance of what the shadows in the Old Testament were pointing to. And now that you have the substance, you don't go back to the shadows. So Moses fulfilled the role of a priest, but he wasn't the high priest. Who was the high priest during Moses' time? It was his brother Aaron. And so he wasn't the high priest. And now Paul's just like, look, Jesus is superior in every way. He is the supreme one that was sent. He is the, the supreme high priest. We're going to learn that his, as a high priest, he's been tempted in all ways without sin, so he could relate to us. Everything about Jesus is better, and he's better than Moses. He's the great high priest. You know, for the Jewish believers, they knew and they were taught that the highest human authority on the earth was the high priest. And so Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Notice in verse two, he was faithful to him, capital H. He was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus came to do the will of the Father And at the end of his life, he's man, I have completed everything you told me to do. Just like, and he's compared now to Moses. Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. I love this. This section is so great. This illustration of the house. You know, in their temptation to go backwards, Moses, why would they, you know, as you you embrace Jesus Christ, some of you are still just wondering, why would anybody want to go back? You know, we're not so far from the believers of the first century. We're separated by a few thousand years, but we're not so far. They were people just like you and me. And Moses was their hero. I mean, he was the hero of the faith. He was the man that they looked for for all of teaching, for all of examples. Moses was the guy because God used Moses in such a huge way and in such an important way. I mean, our culture is very much into what is known as hero worship today. Haven't you noticed this hunger and thirst for heroes has funded a brand new billions of dollar movie making industry today? Why? Why are people eating up all these hero movies? Because there's in us a thirst in our world, even apart from Jesus Christ, especially for this sense of we need someone to help us. We need someone to save us. We need someone to bring justice. Justice to injustice. And so now, all of a sudden, these old comic books are coming back with all this technology and capturing the hearts of many. That shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you because according to the Bible, in the end times, there will be such difficulty. There will be such turmoil that the people living on the earth during that time will cry out for help. They will cry out for a hero. They will cry out for someone to deliver them from the difficulties. And we know according to the Bible that as the time winds down to the end, there will be one man that will be seen as the rescuer of the entire world. We know him by the name of Mr. Antichrist. We don't know his exact name, but we do know the Antichrist will come on the scene and the whole world will look to him. For the first three and a half years of his reign, there will be peace. It will appear that he is exactly what everyone wanted. It will be appear successful. I mean, this guy is going to bring about something that nobody has been able to bring about yet, and that is, he will bring peace to the Middle East. He will solve the problem that is bringing great turmoil to the world today. And in the resolution that he brings and the covenant he signs with the nation of Israel, the temple will be rebuilt. Now those of you that have seen the pictures of Israel or you have come with us on our tour, you know that there's a big problem that exists in the rebuilding of the temple. It's that big golden dome that sits on the temple mount that most Jews believe sits exactly at the place where the temple will be rebuilt. There are a few people that see that that area could be in the court of the Gentiles and the temple can, can you imagine the temple built side by side with the dome of the rock? I don't know what he's gonna do. I don't know how it's all gonna go down, but this sense of hero and wanting someone to stand up for us is not unusual. And in the last days, you would expect to see it. Well, that's where they're at 2,000 years ago, except it's Moses. Moses was their hero. He delivered the nation from bondage in Egypt, brought them freedom. He's the great deliverer. He's the one that gave the law. He's the one that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament where we derive Judaism from, known as the Pentateuch. He, He was God's appointed prophet, appointed spokesman. He was a failure, and yet God made him a success. Everything about Moses inspired them. And it was just really hard for them to break that traditional thinking. Can I say that traditions are hard to break? Do you agree? Yes or no? Traditions are hard to break. Religious traditions are even harder and much more difficult. And it's so important, church, that we not allow ourselves to be blinded by religious tradition. Actually, there's three things I'd like to share with you to warn us today to not be blinded by. Number one is our religious traditions because we all have them. You know, you might have come from a more formalized church. Maybe you were raised in a church like Roman Catholicism, and then somebody opened the Bible to you. You saw that you, you you could be born again, and it wasn't about religion. It was about relationship. But then you were raised in that system, and it's super, super hard for you to break some of the traditions. I think we all have people in our lives that it's really hard for them to break their religious traditions, so much so that when you take the Bible and you open it to and say, but, but it says right here in the Bible, they'll say, no, I don't, you know, I don't, I I know it says in the Bible, but I'm not going to stop doing that. You're like, whoa, why? Why? Well, well, because it's a religious tradition. So if you came to this church from a more formal, maybe not even Roman Catholicism, maybe a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church with a higher level of worship, you think, well, I'm coming to this loose, loose church with no traditions. No, don't. We have our own traditions too. and We have our own habits religiously. And, and if God wants to change something along the way, we need to be open We need to be ready for God to do a new work. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible isn't going to change, and it's never going to change, and we have no permission to change the Bible. And so reject that at any turn. So the Word of God never changes. The message never changes. The methods, the methodologies, they have to change from time to time. They have to. You know, like for example, if today's message resonates with your heart, and you want to get it for a friend, and you go downstairs to our cafe area, and you say, can I get a copy of today's message, I'm just letting you know right now. I'm just letting you know so you're not mad at us later, don't send us an email later, okay? I'm just warning you now, when you go downstairs, you will not get today's message on an eight track tape. We don't do that anymore. Actually, we never did it, but we don't do that anymore. (laughs) Neither will you get it on a cassette tape. And pretty soon, we probably won't even be doing CDs because you can just pull out your phone and you can podcast it. You can click this, go here, app here, website here. Like, we're delivering the Word of God in a variety of different ways. Things change. Most of the kids today don't even know what a cassette tape is. And 8-track, some kids thought, that dude's really old. They literally google stuff i say from this from the stage here because i've never heard of that before it's all right you're gonna learn you're gonna learn what's happening now and you're gonna i learn from you you learn from me things change things change the message never changes but methods change you know god as he has related to man has changed his methods now god doesn't change he's the same yesterday today and forever but but he's changed in his methodology and how he relates to you let me give you an example let me give you an example i hope none of you came to church today with a lamb ready to sacrifice anybody bring a lamb to sacrifice today i hope not i hope there's not one in the car you from now on can leave your lambs at home because you no longer need to sacrifice a lamb every day or the high priest no longer has to go into the holy of holies to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat Because now, in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as Messiah, as the Lamb of God that takes, we don't need to sacrifice animals. Aren't you happy you don't need to sacrifice animals? Like, our sin are not just covered, not just temporarily covered, looking forward to Messiah. Now that Messiah, our Savior, has come, the sins of the world have been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And even in that has changed in man's relationship with God. For you Bible students, you may know what I just explained to you as dispensationalism. How God relates to man in different time periods while remaining the same and unchanged. Because what hasn't changed is that a man and a woman is saved by faith and trusting in God. That hasn't changed. But as God has unfolded his will throughout the scriptures, things change. And you always know there's resistance to change especially when it comes to religious traditions, even in our own church, when a change is being made or a change is being announced and you start to hear, but wait a minute, pastor. We've, oh, you finish it for me. We've always done it this way. We've always done, and I would say, okay, we've always done it this way, which is why we need to change it and be open to a fresh work of the Holy Spirit to be new wineskins so that God can do a fresh work in our lives and we don't get stuck in our traditions. Not all traditions are bad. And some traditions don't need to be changed. For example, reading the Bible together as a church is a tradition we will not change. Teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as it's been handed down to us in our family of churches, that isn't changing worship that resonates with your heart that's real and not a performance that's not going to change gathering you know there's a lot of things that are worth it. teaching your kids the bible and and holding fast to it and making our decisions through the lens that those aren't going to change but methodologies and how we approach and how we reach that, that that's the cutting edge of what the holy spirit wants to do on the earth today and all we need to do is pray and let god lead us and guide us in the next day, the next month, the next year, until He returns, amen? Are you guys with me? All of us have to be careful. Number two, we also need to be careful and not to be blinded by our prejudice. And you know by now that some forms of prejudice are downright sinful. And Many of us need to repent of our prejudice. It blinds us from the truth and it blinds us from being vessels for the Holy Spirit Prejudging people. That's what the word prejudice means. Prejudging. Prejudging someone by the color of their skin. It's a sin. By the clothes that they wear. Whether they have tattoos or not. Whether they're bald or not. I don't know why you're prejudging that, but be easy on us, man. (laughs) Having these opinions, you know, you 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 know everyone has an opinion. Have you noticed that? like if you have if you don't know about that just log on to social media and you will find out everyone has an opinion and everyone thinks we want to know it and so they put it out there but everyone has opinion but only God's opinion matters and the reality is this man does look on the outward but God looks at the heart who are we to prejudge someone by the color of their skin where they grew up what language they speak where they live didn't Jesus die for them yes Didn't Jesus sacrifice his life for every human being? Didn't he die for the sins of the world? And who are we to elevate our own personal opinions and in a very sinful way prejudge someone instead of reaching out to them in love for the human being that they are created in God's image? It can blind us. Thirdly, we also can be blinded by our preconceived ideas. Our preconceived ideas. You know, that's such a blinder when it comes to the word of God because you know God, when we open the word, as we'll we'll learn in chapter four, he wants to cut to the heart of us. The Bible says that it it is described as a mirror, so that when we open the Bible, we're gonna see ourselves. And you know as well as I do, I look at myself sometimes in the mirror, and I'm like, I'm not always happy with what I see. But if you get to that place where now you have all your own ideas, and you come to the Bible, and you're not willing to submit to the word of God, your preconceived ideas will actually cloud your vision and even blind you from the truth that God wants to give to you. And so we need to come to the Word of God. We need to come to worship. We need to be studying the Word and praying and meditating on it in such a way where we're open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're willing to deny ourselves and follow Jesus Christ. We're willing to lay it all on the line day after day, week after week, month after month for a lost and dying world. And if we are filled with our religious traditions, and if we're filled with our prejudices, and we're filled with all of our preconceived ideas, then we're going to be resisting and quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we don't want that. I don't want that in my life. I I want all that God has for me in the days I have left until Jesus returns, until He comes to take us home. I want to run my race well. I want to finish well. I don't want to take you with me. I don't want to fill a church. I want to fill heaven. I'm not interested in full chairs, empty chairs, as much as I'm interested in Are you leading your family in the ways of the Lord? Are you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? Are you affecting your community? Are you sharing the gospel with your boss? Are you helping the hurting? And are you looking out for the poor? I mean, are we being the church of Jesus Christ in a world that so desperately needs the love of Jesus? Isn't that what got you? Isn't it the love of God that moved you? It's the love of God that moved me. I didn't even believe that God loved me. It was hard for me to believe because I didn't like myself very much. And neither did the people close to me. And I was just surrounded with a lot of anger and a lot of frustration because I made a lot of people mad. And to have some guy up here tell me about the love of God, I just didn't believe it at first until I surrendered by faith. And I'm so grateful for the love of God today. I'm so grateful for His grace and His mercy in my life. Which one of us would stand if it wasn't for the grace and mercy and love of God? His goodness. And you know, love tells us the truth. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't one innocent person among us. And that the wages of sin is death. But that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you'll repent of your sins today, I mean, if you'll turn away from your sinful past and submit yourself to the God that loves you by faith in his son Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived for you, died for you, and rose again the third day, Do you know what the Bible says? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. (laughs) So good. In a few moments, you'll have that chance. I mean, you can ask God to save you right now. We need to wait for the few moments. Just do it now. Say, God, save me, a wretched sinner. And he'll meet you right where you're at. You see, Jesus has a greater ministry. Why? Well, he uses this illustration of the house The house, he uses it two different ways. In the first way, he uses it as the builder is bigger than, is more important than than the house itself. That makes sense, right? The architect, the builder, way more important than the house itself. And so this last, verses three and four, is a reaffirmation of Jesus Christ as the creator of the world. Why is he more important than Moses? He created Moses. And the creator is always greater than the created. And so he keeps hitting this. Jesus is God. He created Moses. Why would you settle for Moses? And he compares him and says, hey man, he's greater than Moses because just like the person that builds the house is greater than the house. And he says in verse 4, every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Now the illustration's changing. He was indeed faithful in his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. So Moses becomes a type and a picture of faithfulness pointing to Jesus Christ. By the way, when you're reading through the Old Testament, you need to look carefully for Jesus Christ. He's everywhere in the Old Testament, everywhere by type and by shadow, looking forward to the coming Messiah. Moses was a type of Jesus Christ, a deliverer that would come. So in verse 6, Christ is as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. If you count them, you can see at least six times the word house is used in this section of scripture. And this is a turning point now where by the the time we get to to verse 5, he's talking about the people of God, the family of God. In the Old Testament, the family of God is often referred to as the children of Israel or Israel, or sometimes after the kingdom was divided, after the death of King Solomon, David's son, you might hear them hear the people of God referred to as Israel and Judah because they divided into two groups. So in the Old Covenant, the the phrase that we use to describe the family of God, it would be the children of Israel, and everyone else would be Gentiles outside of the family of God. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the New Covenant that we have, we refer to the family of God as what? The, say it out loud, you know it, the church. The church is a family of God. As a matter of fact, the church is not a building, as we've learned, the church is you. That's what he says, whose house we are. As we hold fast to the, firm to the faith. If the Holy Spirit's in you, you're going to hold fast. You're going to persevere. God is going to strengthen you and help you to get to the end. I I was greeting before service and I came to a brother and, you know, I'm just uh, checking in on him, how he's doing. He's usually here earlier and he says, "Uh, hey, how you doing? I ask him and he says, well, I'm hanging in there. And I know exactly what he means. It's been a hard week. <laughs> he's hanging in there. And he had, the, he had Wednesday off because it was a holiday, but then he had to go right back to work. And, and it's been a long, what he, what he does for a living is very hard, very difficult. And so he's hanging in there. You can see it on his face and, and you get that picture. And, and it's one of those moments where I, I want, I should have told him in the moment, but it didn't hit me until the Bible study. And so I taught him, I, I shared this with him because he was in service as I, during the Bible study. And, and, and I wanted to encourage him, if you feel like that today, it's like if you hold fast to the end and you're like, well, I'm barely making it, Ed. I'm barely holding on. Well, just remember this. The emphasis is not you holding on to God, but God holding on to you. Who's gonna snatch you out of the Father's hands, Jesus said. And it was just like when I was walking my kids across the street when they were young. I would, I would allow them, I'd give them, they would, they would hold me and I'd, I'd hold their, they could hold my pinky or I'd, I'd hold their hand but I'd have them hold my pinky, let's go across the street. And if, if they lost grip or some crazy thing happened, I'm telling you in a millisecond, I'm gonna grab their wrist and I'm not gonna let go. So they can feel like they're holding on to daddy but if there was a crisis, I would flip around and grab their wrist in a millisecond because dad's going to take care of his kids. And if an imperfect dad like me would take care of his kids, how much more our heavenly father, who will not allow anything to snatch you out of his hands. The Holy Spirit in you is sealed you. He is the seal of redemption. Jesus has a greater ministry. We're his house. He purchased us. We belong to him. The house belongs to God. It's all his. There isn't anything that belongs to us. The house belongs to him. Jesus owns the house. You and me and everything that we have. As a church family, this all belongs to God. The building, the carpet, the chairs, everything. You all belong to God. Your life, your house, your car, your money, your clothes, your mind, everything was designed by faith to honor and glorify Jesus Christ until He comes. It all belongs to Him. None of it belongs to us. So much so that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, And of course all of us say yes and amen the very first condition he places on us is what deny yourself that is the key to victory in the spiritual realm that we would deny ourselves take up the cross dying to ourselves daily and follow him see jesus is greater but moses was being elevated to a place that he didn't belong in their hearts and can i just say that we have a tendency to elevate man and how careful we need to be. We have a tendency to elevate man in, in, our, in the spiritual life, in church. We have a tendency to put men and women that God has used in our lives to serve us, to encourage us, to teach us the Bible, to extend grace to us. We tend to put them in places that they don't belong. Sometimes that's referred to as putting someone on a pedestal. And no man has ever been intended to put on a pedestal, ever. Never before and never in the future. All focus and attention, all glory and honor and all worship must go to Jesus Christ. But we do appreciate the men in our lives, don't we? I mean, I'm thinking as I go back and, and uh, spend some time at my home church and step in for my pastor, I love my pastor. I love that man. I am completely committed to serving him, loving him, I'm committed to watching his back. I'm committed to helping him any way I can. I love and appreciate that man. He's the man that God used to preach the gospel to me. He's the man that God used week after week to teach me the Bible and disciple me from the pulpit. He's the man that God used to encourage me along the way. He's the man that even to this day, I still listen to. I still watch services. I still podcast my pastor. I hear him on Grace FM. I love my pastor. I'm committed to him. He could call me right now. I wouldn't interrupt the sermon for it, but as soon as I'm done, I would call him back. And he says, Ed, I need you here right now. I would get on a plane and go serve my pastor right now, right in the moment. I love him that much, but I don't worship him. He's just a man, an imperfect man. And I don't have false expectations on him either. I know he's going to make mistakes. And I know he's not going to be perfect. I respect him. And I honor him. You guys are in Hebrews. We're going to get to this later, but would you just turn to Hebrews 13 with me? Let me show you uh, this admonition that God gives us. I love and respect him, but I don't worship him. I love and respect him, but he doesn't have a place above Jesus in my life. Notice in Hebrews chapter 13 uh, in in verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And I think in another translation, it speaks of honoring them. And I'm committed to honor the men in my life that God has used. I'm committed to it. I I want to express loyalty and commitment. and, And I want to... Make sure that as, as the realm of Pastor Jeff and all the people in his life and all the ministry that Jeff and Karen have been a part of, that when my family is thought of and when my wife and kids are known in their lives, that they know that we are committed to serve them, to committed to, to, to walk alongside of them. I mean, the brother just turned 70. He's got about 45 years plus. I need to find the exact number. 45 years of faithful ministry. And countless people have been saved and sent out on the mission field and sent out to plant churches. Like, I want my pastor to know that that I'm committed to him. I think of Pastor Chuck Smith. What a valuable man that he is in my life. That, That he was open back in the late 60s. He and his wife Kay living there on the beach. That he was open, even though a little resistant, to be used of God to reach the unreachable, the untouchable, known as the hippies. Those that were drunk all the time and high all the time and checked out on life. But Jesus Christ died for them. And he was one, Pastor Chuck and Kay were a part of the work that God did in an outpouring of one of the last revivals we've ever seen. I can't wait to see the next one. But I appreciate, I listen to Pastor Chuck almost every day. I wish I could say every day, but it's not every day. It's almost every day. I mean, I, I got his app. I've got the app. They put all this stuff available. And I mean, it's like, you know, my dad's in heaven. My mom's in heaven. My grandparents are in heaven. Even Pastor Chuck's in heaven. But when I hear Pastor Chuck teach the Bible to me, uh, Pastor Jeff could be considered my spiritual dad. And Pastor Chuck is my spiritual grandpa. And it's like grandpa teaching me the Bible. But I don't worship Pastor Chuck. When he was alive, he was an infallible man. He'd be the first one to admit it to you. But I love and appreciate him, and I respect him. And I pray in our relationship as pastor and church that that I have earned your respect in serving you and teaching you the Bible. I hope, for those of you that do respect me and receive from me, I hope in my lifetime I never do anything to lose respect in your life, that I never disqualify myself, that I, that I never do something so dumb and stupid that would cause you to doubt God or to be upset. And even if I did make a mistake with you and I did in a place maybe lose a little bit of respect, I pray that you would respect me enough, have enough to come to me according to Matthew 18 and let's make it right. That's what the Bible says. But I wouldn't expect you to elevate me, don't. I wouldn't expect you to follow me with your eyes closed. No, we come to the word of God and God leads us by his spirit. You don't worship man, just like these guys. They're, Moses is being put at this level, and we have to be careful. We don't follow man, we follow God. You guys with me on that? You don't follow man, you follow God. But we honor and respect the men that God has used in my life. I think of my friend Jack, who invited me to church. I think of my friend Henry, who's spoken the word in my life. My friend Tony, I think of the pastorals team. Of all the guys that have been here through the years, like Jason here now, or Ian, or Matt, or Aaron, or on and on the list goes. I I think of the gals in our lives that, that have served here over the years, that have just spoken into my life and ministered to me. I love and respect them, but I don't worship them. Even the men in the church, like even the men in the Bible, I love and appreciate them, but we don't worship them. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship, and He's the final word on all things, forever and a day. Jesus is the final word on everything as he's revealed himself to us in his word, not man. The audience being tempted backward was a big temptation, one that's all in all of us. It may not be Moses. It might be someone else that we need to keep our eyes considering Jesus, considering Jesus. Let's close with this phrase. This is such a sweet phrase to me in verse 6 as Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. I'm so encouraged by that, because it reminds us that the house of God is really a family, a family. All of us that trust in Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. In one place, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it speaks of us being adopted by God, uh, the spirit of adoption, adopted as sons and daughters by God. And every one of you belong here as a part of the family. God has brought you here. You can say, I believe that you are here by the will of God, that God somehow connected you with this local fellowship family, and this is your family. But we are a family, and I think it's an appropriate descri- description of the church as a family, whether it's this church or that church, or any church, we're a family. And I would say that we're a typical family, a normal family. Uh, You know, there's a lot of talk today in the world about dysfunctional families, as if there are some dysfunctional families and other families that aren't. Can I just set the record straight? Because of sin, everyone's in a dysfunctional family. It's just different how it looks. We, and, and you know, when we're sharing family issues and maybe a brother comes up and they want prayer and they're starting to share with their family and I say, no, 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 I don't need to know a whole little story, let's just pray. And one of the things I'll usually say, almost always is, just, just to give some empathy is, we all have families. We all have families. And what that means is we all have families and everything that comes with it. The difficulties, the stumblings. Like, like in any family, you're gonna face frustrations In any church family, when you get a lot of people together, you're going to have friction and pain. Probably the greatest thing that will happen in a church family is you will be offended by someone. You will experience offense. If you haven't been offended yet, just wait. It's coming. You may be like me. I love this church. God called my family and I out from Southern California in 1999. We moved here, the five of us, hoping that God would do a work and and we'd get to be a part of it. And boy, has he done a work and have we been a part of it. This is where my family grew up, my kids grew up. It's where my kids were discipled by the youth group leaders and the pastors here. This is where my family still attends. Praise the Lord for that. You know, when we were planting the church and it just started with the five of us, I knew I was in big trouble if only four showed up. Because I mean, Matt Marie went somewhere else. And I made the kids come with me, and it never did get to that. But this is my family. I love this church. I love you guys. I love everything about this church. I love all the services. I love all that God is doing. I love the larger body. I love the smaller groups. I love the pastors. I love everything about this church. Some of the greatest joys I've ever experienced in my life have happened right here in this church. This is where my son was married. Where I, grant, where I dedicated our, grand, our grandson to the Lord. This is where I've met so many wonderful people. This is where we've sent people off on mission trips. This is where we've ordained men in ministry. This is where we have been at the bedside of the sick and the dying, and we've comforted those. This is where we've extended grace and mercy. Some of the greatest experiences in my life would be too much to write down have happened right here in this church family. And some of the absolute worst pain I've ever experienced have come from this church family, by people that used to sit in these very chairs. But it's all a part of it. In this world, you'll suffer tribulation, the Bible says. And we don't give up on Jesus because we've been offended or we've been hurt. The worst thing you could do when you're hurt in a church is to run away with unresolved conflict. That's the worst thing you could do, whether it's this church or knowing this is going out on the radio and hundreds of stations and knowing this is going out, podcasting and everything, no matter where you're at church, the worst thing you can do when you're offended is to sinfully run away because the Bible has given us insight on how to help resolve our problems and that is if your brother sinned against you, go to him, you and him alone, share the matter. If your brother hears you, you know what the Bible says? You have won your brother. That's the whole point. Love and forgiveness matched with repentance equals relationship restored. It's beautiful. And if the other person is unwilling to repent, that does not give you permission not to forgive. Forgiveness is a mandate for us. It's the only way you're going to be able to live with yourself. Why would you want to get caught up in all bitterness and anger? Because I'll tell you what, if you run away with unresolved conflict and you land in another church, you take all that junk with you. And now you're infiltrating another church with all your bad junk. But then you go to the church and go, oh, this is the best church in the world. This has everything. that You're nothing like my last church. They didn't do this, 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 this. And I'm just telling you right now, I'm warning you ahead of time. It's only a matter of time if you head off to another church and God hasn't called you there. All this unresolved stuff in your heart. It's only a matter of time where that church and that pastor becomes your last church and your last pastor. It happens over and over again because the problem is not exclusively the other person. You're a part of the problem. I'm a part of the problem when unresolved conflict and we have to do our part in obeying God and giving room for the Holy Spirit. I pray you would love your church, that you express love, that, that in even the things that may be, because it'll change your mind. When you walk into a church family, it'll change your mind. You won't be going, oh, they didn't do this for me. Oh, why are they doing this? Oh, another change. Oh, you won't be doing that. Instead, you'll be walking in going, oh, Lord, how do you wanna use me? Who needs me today? Where will my gifts be used? I, I wanna grow, God. How do you want me to be express your life in the life of this world? And you'll show up to church in a body in your family and you'll see what you can do for them. And it's the same in your own true family in your own blood family. As your heart changes, you'll be saying, no, what can you, you won't be saying, what can you do for me? You'll be saying, man, I'm just so ready to serve you of all that God has done for me. What can I do? Even though there's frustrations, frictions, pains, it's still the church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it on the earth today, nothing. This is the only group of people that God created and that he's still building and that he's promised never to leave or forsake us. It's so beautiful. When tough times come within the family, don't be surprised by them. Don't be stunned. There's going to be weaknesses and frailties, especially in a ministry like ours that really is a, is an, a ministry that is outreach, 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 where we want the lost to be saved. Our gathering isn't like this holy huddle where we just take care of believers all the time. There's a lost and dying world that God is equipping us for the work of the ministry. So what happens when a guy comes in and he's strung out or people come in with all kinds of lifestyles and all? What happens? Hopefully, you're going to express love and mercy to them. You're not going to be held back by religious traditions. You're not going to be held back by prejudice. You're not going to be held back by these preconceived ideas. But even in needed, you're going to speak the truth in love. And you're going to love people. It's the love of God, Paul said, that leads to repentance. And so we have filled, our church is filled. I'm so glad. You know, remember, my heart in pastoring is that I pastor a church where a guy like me 27 years ago could walk in and get saved, because I was really jacked up, bad. It was beyond repair. There wasn't a human being on the planet Earth, myself included, that could have fixed me. And when I walked into a church not unlike this, people loved me, cared for me, taught me the Bible, called me a sinner, told me to repent. here we are and so that's pretty much what we are we love you, we encourage you, you're a sinner repent, that's just the way it is and it's no small thing the love of God, the family of God and I know, I don't speak lightly of the hurts that are in this room because of the church maybe because of this church I don't speak lightly, I recognize that, I acknowledge it but God is the great healer And he hasn't failed you. Even if God's people have failed you, God hasn't failed you. And so you just submit yourself to the Lord. I mean, think about this for a second as we leave. The reward for a perfect life, a perfect ministry, perfect teaching. I mean, Jesus was perfect in every way. And how was he rewarded? They crucified him. And as we'll see later on in our studies in Hebrews, one of the exhortations to continue on is that, you know what? You haven't resisted sin onto bloodshed yet. You haven't, you haven't resisted to the place where Jesus was yet, so keep going and trusting. The church is so many wonderful things. A church, a family that functions, a family that follows, a family that feeds on the faithfulness of God. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth on the earth today, and the church is a family. And we all have families. And Jesus died for this family and for this city and for this state and for this world until our last breath, we need to go for it. We need to go with the gospel. We come to be built up and we go. And I pray that the Lord send you out as missionaries today, missionaries in our city. Some of you are missionaries as you go to work. Some of you are going to be missionaries as as you're traveling on vacation. Some of you are going to be worldwide missionaries. God is still wanting to save the earth today. There are still hundreds of thousands of places that need a church planted and a body of believers and people to be discipled. There's so much yet to be accomplished, and God, He has chosen to use us. Isn't that awesome? I think it's great. And may God bless you as you keep your eyes on Him considering him, knowing that he is faithful, even when we're faithless. Because Jesus built the house. The house belongs to him. You're his. This house is his. And may we leave here with that encouragement. So Father, we're grateful that you love us, that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. And we just ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take these words and make them come alive in our lives where we're at, right where you know, we've we've been, right, what we're thinking, um, what's going on in our family right now. I pray for those connected by um, the live stream. I pray, God, for those listening live on the radio and then later on, even those listening to a radio broadcast, whenever this hits the radio sometime, um, that, God, you would just pour out your spirit. Your word will not return void. I I pray, God, that you would encourage those that, that are here that are hurting, and I'm sorry, God, that this church or people in this church hurt them It's really, it's pain. It's one thing to experience pain, but within the body of Christ, it's almost like pain upon pain. But we're imperfect, Lord, and we sometimes forget that we've hurt people. We're so focused on someone hurting us that we forget we've made mistakes. And so would you just level the playing field with your grace today? Would you speak to us and encourage us by the work of your Holy Spirit? Would you remind us how much you love us and care for us? And that if it wasn't for your mercy and grace, which one of us would be standing in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we head out. And, and uh, the Lord is just doing a great work. And he loves you guys. He cares for you. And I'm going to do something. Um, don't leave yet, please, because I'm going to do something that may or may not be well received. But Bryce, are you here? Bryce, can you guys come up? I want to pray for you. Bryce is here on furlough from South Africa Uh, He's pastoring a church in Parle, uh, right outside one of the suburbs of Cape Town. So if there's any pastors here still, or you guys are coming up to pray, would you guys just come up here? I'm going to lay hands on Bryce and his wife as they refresh themselves here in the best state of the United States of America, Colorado. And uh, I want to introduce you to them. We've done a lot of ministry in South Africa, and and so we're just going to pray for you. I hope you guys aren't mad at us. This is how it works here. So come on up. Bryce was... uh, pastoring in Tustin uh, with Barry Stagner. Some of you guys um, remember Barry when he was here. And, uh, and so, good to see you. God bless you. Yes. Hi. Good to see you guys. So, come on over here. Let's pray for you. Here's some of the guys here. And uh, let's just pray for him. Father God, we just ask right now that you pour out your spirit on Bryce and his bride, Lord, and all the work that you're doing in Paro, South Africa, and Cape Town there, uh, with all the opportunities, with all the open doors, with a new fresh wind of fellowship and opportunity Lord, I know that uh, Pastor John and uh, and Philip are going to come out and be an encouragement, and that there would just be a strength that has never been seen or felt before—a fresh new thing, God. That you would pour out your Spirit on Bryce and all that faces, everything that he's facing in the church right now, everything that's going on that are outside of our control. that You would just establish him as a man of God. I pray for their children and their family on the mission field and all the challenges that that possess, Lord, and all that they face there and. Lord, that you would just remind us that this church, uh, your church, touches the world and we get to be a real small part of it. So bless them and encourage them in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877 304